Thank you for being here, and thank you all for being back tonight. It'll be a blessing to you. Because wherever Jesus goes, even though he works through frail and fallible people like all of us, when his Spirit reaches out to touch people, there's a miracle. It changes life. The greatest miracle is not inanimate objects like loaves and fishes, but changing people, attitudes, relationships. That's the miracle par excellence. That can happen to anybody and everybody. It can happen to you. This can be the, a new year, a new you. In 1992, there can be a new you. What about the preacher who got to go on his sermon and he was just so intent and he said, I want to tell you folks, I'm not just preaching today, I'm telling you the truth. Well, I don't know any preacher doesn't try to tell the truth as we see it and understand it. But uh, I want to tell you today, I'm not just preaching. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ makes a difference in people's lives. There were three fellows that left uh, their home. They went down to the southern part of the country to hear a preacher by the name of John the Baptist Three fellows were named James and John and Andrew. James and John were brothers, and Andrew was the younger brother, Simon Peter. And while they were there, they heard John the Baptist point out Jesus, and they went up and started talking to him. And it was such a memorable moment of miracle that uh, the apostle John remembered it. He talks about it in in John, the first chapter. He says, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly there was something new in his life. It was just the beginning, but there was something new in his life. Same thing happened to James, his brother, and to Andrew, and they were walking back, a journey of 80 or 100 miles possibly. They were going back up to Galilee, and on the way up there, I just imagine Andrew saying, you know, fellas, I've got a brother I want to talk to about about this Jesus, said, I, I really want to meet him. I want him to meet him. They said, you mean Peter? I said, yeah. Or Simon? Yeah. I'm concerned about him. He's, you know, he, everybody likes him. He's big-hearted, but he can be just as mean as the devil at times. He gets in fights, and then he turns right around and does the most loving thing. He's just so, he's just so unpredictable and, uh, effervescent and at times just so disgusting. He just just drive you nuts and then he'll bless your life. I mean, in some ways, he's the most even-tempered man I've ever known. He's just mad all the time about something. <laughs> and if something just hits him wrong, well, he'll lash out. In fact, you know, he quit the church. So he, uh, he did something that everybody down at the synagogue thought was wrong. So they didn't exactly tell him to leave. They just kind of froze him out. So he'd given up on religion and a lot of stuff. But I I really would like, I'm going to try to get him to meet Jesus. You read about it. You have your Bible. It's in the first chapter of John's Gospel. This is an eyewitness story. Uh, If the eyewitness wants to know, well, here it is. 
And uh, here's John telling about what happened. Andrew got up there and he went to his big brother Simon and he said, uh, Simon, I've met somebody I want you to meet. He said, you're wanting to get me back in church, aren't you? He said, no, I'm not trying to get you back in church. I just want you to meet somebody. You got somebody that's going to come down hard on me and, and give me a tough... I'm, no, I just want you to meet a friend. We do that? We found somebody, and we have the idea he's the Messiah. What do you mean? Well, he just turned on some new lights inside of us. Can't explain it. We came back different than we went. And all I want you to do is meet him. He said, well, what have I got to lose? Fish aren't biting, so let's go. Then he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him. My translation says, that's inadequate. What it really says, he looked into him. He got that x-ray vision. He didn't just look at the outward appearance. That's where men look. He looked at the heart. That's where the God-man looks. He looked into him. And he saw everything about him, good and bad, looked into him, and he said, you are Simon, son of John. I imagine Jesus standing there smiling, looking at him. I believe Jesus had a smile on his face most of the time. Church tried to get him to put a frown on, but he still got a smile on his face. Lee Simon looked at him, Jesus looked at Simon, he said, I've heard about you. Simon thought, oh my goodness, what's he heard? He already knew all about him. He could have written his biography. I know you. You are Simon, son of John. But I'm going to tell you something. You will be Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. You will be rocky. Strong. Powerful. You'll make a difference in the world. You'll amount to something. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you will. You are, but you will be. So I want to talk about for a minute. You are. I am. We are. We're all sinners. We just all haven't sinned alike. It just hadn't shown itself in the same way in everybody's life. But he knows us. Read through your New Testament and see how many times it describes Jesus as saying, he knew them. He knew what was going on in their minds. Sixth chapter of Luke, when he'd healed uh, the hand of the withered man in the Capernaum synagogue, where they'd probably frozen Simon out. Simon lived in Capernaum. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. They got all upset. And Jesus said, he knew them. He knew what they were going to do. He knew that kind of religious reaction to grace. Twelfth chapter of Matthew, it happens again. He's healed another person on the Sabbath. He's broken the customary religious rules because he saw people were more important than rules. And so they got into big disputation with him. And out of that grew the, uh, the discussion of the... 
what we call the unpardonable sin. And it is in that context that Jesus said he knew them. He knew what was going on down inside of their hearts. When Jesus cleansed the temple, they were all upset and perturbed again. A bunch of religious racketeers when they're using religion for their own profit instead of using it to help other people and minister to other people. It was a good cause that they had corrupted. He threw them all out of church then. He keeps trying to do that. They keep coming back. They went back then, but he threw them out because he said he knew what was in man. We don't need to try to hide or disguise anything and walk in here on Sunday morning with a kind of religious veneer over us as though that's somehow going to camouflage us to keep God from seeing us. He knows us. He knows us. And the fantastic thing about God is that he believes in us. He is a perennial optimist. He believes that if you and I understand the nature of God and of His love and of His grace, that we will respond in such a way that whatever we have been will be over and we'll be new creatures in Christ. He has boundless optimism. It's not some shallow, sentimental, surface kind of optimism. It's the kind of optimism that can look reality right in the eye and say, you're like that, but I want to tell you what you can be. Martin Luther said the biggest sinners make the best saints. What he was saying was that when people come to recognize who they really are and willing to face it and confess it, that Jesus Christ will take that and transform something that's bad into something that's good, and he'll turn your life around and change it into something that will make a difference in the world. You are, but you will be. It doesn't make any difference what you have been. I know there. Not, not one of us was born in a perfect family. Not one of us is a perfect family. And a lot of us picked up some baggage along the way that's been detrimental to us. It's hurt us. It's harmed us. You know, of course, all, all of us know that we have made some choices on our own that have been simply dumb choices, bad choices. And it hurt us and possibly hurt other people. But sometimes things are laid on us by well-meaning and sincere people, sometimes by people who are not well-meaning and sincere, sometimes by people who are sick or mean or evil, whatever the circumstances. Some things have happened to a lot of us for which we are not personally responsible. We still have to deal with them. And we still need to face those realities. And we need to learn to forgive the people. And we need to let that experience be turned by the grace of God into a kind of a spiritual metamorphosis that will transform that bad into something good and positive in our lives. He will help us face that kind of reality. And whatever it is that's happened to you, however bad it is, whatever kind of abuse or neglect might have happened in your life, Jesus Christ can come and He knows that that is there and He can come with the power of His love and grace and transform it into something that will make your life different and better and you'll be a blessing to other people because of it. Pat Conroy is one of my favorite authors. He wrote uh, Lords of Discipline and The Great Santini and then a marvelous little jewel of a book called The Water is Wide and then one of the best novels I've read in years entitled The Prince of Tides. I read it a couple of years ago. and It's now a movie. And often books uh, are better than the movie. I want to tell you, if you see this movie or if you've read that book, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It's a book about restoring relationships and dealing with a horrendous past 
being willing with the help and the grace of God to face the reality about who we are and also be open to the possibilities of who we can become by the grace of God in our lives. You are. We are. I am. But we will be. And we can be. Something new. You know, I believe that the, this boundless hope and optimism of Jesus is one reason uh, so many folks were drawn to him, don't you? I mean, he just believed in other people. Whether they believed in him or not, he believed in them. He believed deaf people could hear, blind people could see, and dead people could walk, and discarded people could be used, and hurt people could be healed. Who wouldn't want to be around somebody like that? Just exuding this love and hope and power, this positive grace that comes to lift us up and not put us down. To deliver us from the prisons of the past, either imposed by others or by ourselves. And to set the captives free. To proclaim deliverance to all of us who in one way or another and in varying degrees have been caught in circumstances that have complicated our lives. He has come to liberate. You are. That's right. We are. I am. Every one of us. I know there are people that think preachers are born at 40 years of age as a eunuch or, or that they become a third sex and that we're never kids and we never had any normal problems in life. And so you think, well, that's just preacher talk. No, my friend, it isn't preacher talk. It's person talk. I was a person a long time before I was a preacher. And I'm here to say that whatever's happened, whatever's taken place, whatever... I am or have been or whatever you are or have been, God can take that, however complicated it is, and transform it into something that will be a blessing in your life. He'll liberate you from the burden of the past and set you free to help other people in the future. You are, but you shall be. Well, what do I have to do to do that? What's the catch? What's the hook? What's the cost? What you have to do is just be willing to respond. Just start. That's all these fellows did. Just start. Not one of us in this room that doesn't know more about Jesus from the terms, in terms of factual information. Not one of us in this room that doesn't know more about Jesus than Peter and James and John and Simon and all that bunch knew when they started following him. What they do? They just acted upon this divine impulse to respond. Just start. You don't have to try to figure it all out before you begin. Just start. That's what they did. And as you read John's account of this in the first and second chapters of the book of John, you may be impressed as I was to realize where is the first place that Jesus took those guys that began to follow him that we came to know as disciples and have later been called saints. I'm not sure I like the word saints too much, the way it's been interpreted in our day at least. Every Christian is a saint, if you understand the theology of the word, but it's come to mean a saccharine kind of phony sort of... In fact, I have heard the newest definition of a martyr is somebody who has to live with a saint. <laughs> Lord, deliver us. Where is the first place that Jesus took this new bunch of guys that were following him along 
out of a sense of hope. Where did he take them? He took them to a party. Took them to a wedding party, Cain of Galilee. That's where he performed his first miracle. And what did he do at that party? He turned the water into wine. And they stood there and they looked at that. And they saw that. And what he was saying was, in so many words, look, if I can do that to water, think what I can do with you. If I can change your this water here into something different, think what I can do in your life. John tells us he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them, he gave the power to become something. You shall be. So what do you do? You just begin. First thing you need to do is give him your past. You can't do anything with it anyway. You can't handle it. You can't get rid of it. You drag it around. Albatross around your spiritual neck. The past. You can cry and weep and go to church and read the Bible through. You still got it until you give it to Jesus. You got to turn loose of that. You got to turn loose of it. You can play Lady Macbeth and look at the spots in your red right hand or in your heart and out, cry out, out, damn, damn spot, but he won't leave. And the poet Omar Khayyam wrote, We cannot get rid of it on our own. We cannot exercise ourselves, expiate that gift. All of our tears will not wash out a word of the past. Not a word. So what can you do? There's just one thing you can do, and that's to give it to give it to Jesus. I read a great quote. Paul Martha read it uh, to me. We were driving along, and it's uh, from William Durant, who was the founder of General Motors. And he said this: "Forget your mistakes. Forget your failures. Forget everything." Accept what you're going to do right now and do it. This is your lucky day. Close quote. And my friend, if you and I will do that with Jesus Christ, this will be your and my and our lucky day. Give it to me. Jesus didn't come to lead you to a prison. He came to lead you to a party. So leave the past. Leave it to him. Give him the present. Let's go ahead and give him the present. That's what they did. Okay, we'll go. We'll start. We'll start right now. The, A, the AAs had it down just right. First three steps. In the 12-step program, first thing, to recognize the fact that your life is not working. You're powerless to get control of it. Second thing to do is to realize that there is a power outside of yourself that can restore sanity and meaning and purpose. And the third step is to make a conscious decision to give your life to God. 
And do that. Do that right now. Just start. Fourth step says to take a searching, realistic inventory of your own life. That's okay at number four. Don't put that first, you'll never get to number one. I see, that's what a lot of us do. We start coming to church, or we start reading the Bible. We start saying, oh, oh, what I've got to do? I've got to make a whole bunch of New Year's resolutions. I've got to do all of this inventorying of my life. And then maybe once I get through all you're not going to get through all of that because you're going to drive yourself crazy doing it. Don't start with the inventory. Start with the commitment. Begin with the commitment. And he'll lead you from there on, step by step by step. If you give him the past and you give him the present, you're not going to have to worry about the future. You're in good hands with the all-sufficient God. You're in good hands. And he'll take care of you. Oh, God, our help in ages past? Right. Our hope for years to come? Right. You are, you will be. You're discouraged. You will be encouraged. Follow him. You're depressed. You will be impressed. Follow him. You're afraid. You will not fear. Follow him. You're troubled. You will be untroubled. You're held with some habits that are ruining your life. You will be set free. You're lost. You will be found. You're down. You will be up. Follow him. For down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that are broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful Jesus will save. You are. You will be. Now start right here. Start right now. You'll never find a group of people that will be more affirming, more approving, more prayerful, more grateful, more supportive, more loving than you're going to find right here. Now I will tell you, this, this is not a perfect church. 
You're not going to find perfection here. Simon Peter followed Jesus for years, and he still was far from being perfect. And when he died, he wasn't perfect. But he was better. He was different. You're looking for a perfect pastor, you, you need to look somewhere else. You're looking for a perfect church, you need to look somewhere else. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus makes a difference. What's the proof? Well, there's a book full of them right here. And there's a building full of them right here. Not a perfect one in the bunch, but there are a few thousand people here this morning stand up and say, Jesus made a difference in my life. And I want him to make a bigger difference in the future. I was, but I now am. There are millions in the world. Not a perfect one there either. You're looking for perfection, you'll find it only in him who has changed our lives. And so we point you to Christ. We ask you to come join his church. Just a bunch of hungry people who found bread telling other people where to find bread. Just a bunch of hurting people who found some healing want them to know the healer. A bunch of hurting people who found someone that took away the hurt and gave us purpose and meaning. We want you to know him. We want you to come help us be better Christians. We'll help you be a better Christian. Together we'll be a better representative of Christ. And in the process, as we endeavor to lift him up, to see all men drawn to him. Why would you turn down anybody like Jesus? Don't. No.